Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. We're in 1 Peter. And so today I want to talk to you. We are tonight and next weekend or next Wednesday. We'll finish up chapter 3. We will be in 1 Peter until March. And then sometime in March, we're going to start the book of Revelation. So y'all pray for me about that because this Revelation, man, I've been studying for specifically for this sermon series for couple of years specifically for this series not sure when I'd be released to do it I feel released to do it and it's freaking me out <laughs> so y'all keep me in prayer there that, that we not only declare the truth but we declare it clearly amen so but today we're on first we're still in first Peter chapter 3 and we're talking about or we're going to talk about the zealous believer over the last couple of weeks, we've discussed the attitude of a believer and what that attitude looks like and our responsibility as believers that we are to be sympathetic, harmonious, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing to the people around us instead. Verse 10 and 11 gives us three must statements that we must accomplish if we are to be the believer that God called us to be, to have the attitude of the believer we've been called to, which is we must keep our tongues from evil and our lips from deceit. We must turn from evil and do good, and we must seek peace and pursue it. This is no easy challenge. None of these things are easy challenges. All of them should stretch us and cause us to intentionally conform to the Spirit of God, because this isn't going to happen by accident. Let me tell you, none of us in the face of oppression, none of us in the face of someone that is trying to argue you down, for lack of a better way to put it, to declare an untruth in the face of truth to you is naturally going to be sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. It's our nature to actually be opposite of that because of our sin nature. So how do we accomplish this? The answer, of course, is by the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. But Peter goes on to tell us in, in chapter 3, uh, 13 through 17, that it takes a zealous believer to accomplish these things. That we are to be zealous. And that's, that's the title for the lesson today, the zealous believer. In one, 1 Peter 3.13, it says this. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Can I tell you, even when, I don't have to tell you probably, but you let me, let me tell you, it's very difficult for people to be angry with you, to be oppressive to you if you are being who God called you to be. You know how hard it is for someone to find fault in you when you're striving to be more Christ-like and there's not actually false there's not actually 
fault in you. They have to declare a non-truth about you in order to be mad at you. But in order to be that person, we have to be zealous. We have to strive to do good. We must be zealous for that which is good. Good being defined by the previous verses. Zealous means having an enthusiasm for. That we must be have an intensity, intensity and an, a spirit of enthusiasm towards being these things. Which would be great if that was easy, except that it's not. I've, I've been zealous. I am, I think, pretty zealous person. I'm enthusiastic. I'm intense about what I believe. I, I don't mind standing up for that and standing and doing whatever's necessary to accomplish that goal. And, and really, I've kind of been that person my whole life. Sadly, good, my good and my zealousness rarely intersected before I got saved. But I was always a zealous person, which got me a lot of things that other people may not have gotten. I got audience with people I, I shouldn't have had audience with. I, I got jobs that I shouldn't have had. I probably wasn't even qualified for. I told you guys, or maybe I haven't, that I spent the first couple years working at the police academy hiding under my desk for fear that they would figure out that I didn't know what I should know and that they were going to fire me. But because of my zealousness, because of my intensity, they assumed I knew what I was talking about until I could learn enough to actually know what I was talking about. And this is the kind of zealousness that we've been called to. Not to fake it, but to intentionally pursue it. I had to intentionally pursue who I was supposed to be so that I could ultimately be that person confidently. And that's what we're called to do. To intentionally pursue Christ-like behavior with the zealous intensity of someone intent on doing good so that we can stand strong in the face of those that would persecute us. Everybody all right? Okay. So this is what he says. He says, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? How many, it, it's going to be very difficult for people to persecute you if you are extremely intense in your, verse 8, sympathy. Brotherly love, kind-heartedness, humility, and all of the things we've listed before. But you've been called in that to be intense. So let me read 1 Peter 3, 13-17 and break down how we are supposed to be intense. 13-17 through 17 says this, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? I feel like this is the preemptive statement. He's all, I need you to pay attention. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for what is doing right, rather than for what is, for what is wrong. 
So, here we go. We've been called to be zealous believers. The first point I want to make, and I'm going to make several, is a zealous believer is willing to suffer. I know. I talk about suffering all the time. You know why I talk about suffering all the time? Because the Bible talks about suffering all the time. Because if you got into this Christian walk expecting it to be easy, you're sadly mistaken. If you're doing it right, there's going to be oppression. There's going to be problems. There's going to be trials and tribulations. Paul declares this. He said, I myself have been beaten. I've been shipwrecked. I've been stoned. I've been left for dead. There's going to be trials. But those that are zealous are willing to accept the fact that they suffer. In verse 14 and 17, it reads like this. And I'm, I'm teaching both of them the same because they sandwich really the, the greater thought. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And then in 17, for it is better if you should will it, if God should will it so that we suffer for what is doing right rather than for what is doing wrong. So he's saying there's a decent chance that you're going to suffer both for the right and for the wrong. So you're not going to be able to go left or right without suffering something. This is the life that you chose. But you know what? It's okay. You know why it's okay? Because this life is but a mist, but a vapor. I tell you that you're going to suffer, that there's going to be struggle, try and tribulation. One, because the Word declares it. But the church has to be prepared for what's going to happen to you. People are, I'm already struggling. I'm already in trial. I'm already in temptation. I've been studying the book of Revelation. It's going to get worse. And it's going to get worse. And you're all, Pastor, we didn't come here for, for this kind of message. This is the kind of message you're getting. Because this is what the Word says. But you know what I learned? What I have learned, both in law enforcement, military, and this? And, and I heard a guy say it Monday night. He said, the more you bleed in training, the less you'll bleed in the fight. And I'm not trying to cut you and cause you to bleed. I'm just trying to make sure that when you're in the fight, you don't bleed and fall away. That you don't fall out. That you're prepared and equipped. A statistic that we used to teach, and I know I'm referencing the academy a lot today, but one of the things we used to teach is that if you prepare for a fight, you're four times quicker in your response to that fight than if you were unprepared. Did you catch that? Which means if you're prepared for this fight, which means you think about it, you've processed through it, you've prayed about it, you've asked for the strengthening of the Holy Spirit to help you because you know something's coming, you know this fight's going to happen. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. When the fight happens, when the persecution happens, when someone tells you that a man is a woman or a woman is a man and then calls you a bigot because you don't agree with that, you're ready for that fight. You're ready to talk about that's not true. You're ready to suffer because the time is coming. Is in fact, I think here, where you will be called a bigot, a racist, a xenophobe, persecuted, and prosecuted. 
for traditional Christian beliefs, for the beliefs that our country was founded on, they'll put you in prison. All they have to do is start isolating you, making you, making you the enemy, making the larger portion of society recognize you as the threat, when in fact you're no threat at all, you just want to be left alone, serve your God. I'm getting political, I don't mean to get political, but at the end of the day, this is, this is the truth of our persecution. This is where we're headed, and we should be ready for it, which means we have to be zealous in doing good. Because you know what, even in our persecution, I want the, should it ever come to that, the, the man that puts me in prison, I want to lead them to Jesus. And I can't do that. We can't do that if we're not kind and zealous and um, humble in spirit. We can only do that if we know the fight, be who we're supposed to be, and be zealous in that fight. Amen? So he said, uh, uh, being zealous for what is good isn't a guarantee against suffering, but it takes a zealous spirit to overcome it. I, I like this text in Acts. If just being good was enough to keep you from persecution, we'd be all right. But it didn't work for Jesus. And he was the greatest good. Acts 2, 23 says this. This man, he was talking about Jesus, this is Peter's first sermon. Delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Jesus, the one that came here out of heaven, the one who lived a perfect life, was only offensive to the untruth, but never wavered from the truth was nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men. Why do I like this text for this subject? Because even being zealous and good, expect that the persecution can still, can still happen to you. Our responsibility is to find joy in that persecution, to find joy in that suffering. I have three texts here that I want to talk to you about because we shouldn't fear persecution because through it we're blessed. Peter, James, and Paul all tell us this. Let me read these texts to you. Peter first in 1 Peter 5.10. After you have suffered for a little while. Let me define a little while for you. A little while may be your whole life. But in lieu of eternity, it's just a little while. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. When the holy, almighty God sets his face to you and determines to perfect you, 
confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you, you should be able to find joy in your suffering. Because it's just for a little while. I want to equip the church tonight for what may happen to us. Remember who Peter's audience is. Always remember who's Peter, who Peter's audience is. That is, those people that were scattered abroad because people were killing them, burning them at the stake, throwing them in arenas with animal furs tied to them and letting wild other animals kill them and eat them for fun. Our job is to find joy. However, however that happens, by the power of the Holy Spirit himself in that persecution, because it's just for a little while. James 1, 2, and 4 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, that you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There's trial, but there's comfort in our trial. The Holy Spirit, he says, when I send to him, when he comes, he'll, he'll bring peace. Not peace like you know, but my peace. The world's falling apart, but my Jesus ain't. Your Jesus isn't. God's still on a throne. It's a message that we say over and over and over in times of issue and times like these. But you know why we say it? Because it's true. That God is sovereign. Let's just think about this for a second. Let me step away and help you find some joy. The God that can hold the sun in his hand set his love to you. The God that set every star into existence, created every mountain, every beautiful bird, every beautiful creature, all the power of the universe, holds that power in his own hand and has set his love on you. Is determined to express himself to you, to send his son Jesus so that he could spend eternity with you. Do you know how we get there? We get there through faith alone in Christ alone. Do you know how we cross that finish line? By striving in times like these. To find joy when there seems to be no joy. I, I long for the day that someone asks every person in this room, how are you happy? Why are you so happy all the time? And you get to tell them the gospel of Jesus. You get to tell them, I'm happy. I find joy because an eternal king came down to pull me out of my sin. Died on a cross as a substitute for me. And he's willing to do the same thing for you. That's what standing strong is. That's what standing strong looks like. Being willing to suffer. And recognize that in our suffering there's joy. Not because 
of anything we have going on, but like Trent said, because we have we have found joy regardless of our circumstance. Contentment. Take what you will. I've resolved myself. And I hope that you have too. Angela and I have had this conversation with our with our daughter when she was 14 or 15 years old. If the world gets so bad that someone breaks in here and holds a gun to our head and says, you denounce Christ or I'm going to kill your dad. You let them kill me. Because your eternity is more important than my life. These are conversations we should have. And it sounds like, Pastor, that's gruesome. Why would you tell a 15-year-old girl that? Because I want her to know the confidence that I have. And that in the confidence I have, she can have that same confidence to continue to be zealous in her suffering. Amen? Paul continues in 2 Corinthians. I'm not done with this joy thing yet. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Therefore, we stay enthusiastic. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Listen to this. So good. I bet Brother Leonard could quote this verse for me. For momentary light affliction, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. You know what he's asking you to do there? There's a question in there. There's not a question mark in there, but there's a question in there. Can you put your life on a scale with persecution on one side and joy on the other and celebrate that you're being renewed day by day? that what you're going through right now is greater or is, isn't as significant as what God has in store for you. Then he continues, while we look not at the things which are seen, but all the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so he puts a bow on it. When you got this scale, your spiritual universe is far bigger than your physical universe. You're focusing on the wrong thing. Well, Pastor Jim, I can't see it. You don't have to see it. Faith doesn't come by seeing. Faith comes by hearing. The problem is we spend too much time seeing the things around us. We allow ourselves to be consumed by what we can physically touch and see and feel. Pastor or Brother Trent and I were looking through my notes from Sunday. And there was a side note that I had written on there. I don't think I actually shared with the church. But it just says, your feelings will kill you. I, I didn't say it, but what I said it is probably, probably would have been the most profound thing I said Sunday. Your feelings will kill you. Stop looking at what is physical or temporal. Start paying attention to the spiritual. Because we're priests and kings, baby. And we'll be that for eternity if we continue to strive for the finish line. Amen? 
and it says that we'll be blessed in it. Blessed doesn't, again, doesn't mean there won't be persecution. It's funny to me that, that Mary's called blessed in the Scripture for giving birth to Jesus. But Elizabeth tells her this, while she was still pregnant, that she would be pierced by many sorrows. How is she blessed and pierced by many sorrows all at the same time? She's blessed because the spiritual within her is more significant than what will pierce around her. Man, that's a word we can hold on to. You're not at the end of your rope yet. Every time I thought I've, I'm, I'm there, God's tied another knot at the end of my rope. Every single time. And my life hasn't been a, a, an easy Christian walk. The worst thing, I've, I guess the worst thing we've had to overcome in our Christian walk is my reputation. But let me tell you, God ties a knot at the end of that too. It's amazing to me that there's a guy, and I won't tell you who he is, there's a guy that goes to church here on Sunday that was part of a church staff. I was going to a church with a girl, and they asked me if I wanted to be an usher past the plate. And so they said, sure. So they ran it up the, the flagpole, and the, the would-be people in charge, or not the would-be, the people in charge there told me because I had been divorced that I wasn't qualified to do that. I wasn't qualified to tell people that they're loved and just be nice to them and pass a plate. One of those staff members about two months ago started attending church here every Sunday. I want you, did you hear what I said? As I don't say that because anything we got going on or anything I've got going on, but because the truth is revealed in our suffering. Because God is awesome. If, if I ever need a time of contentment, I feel like that would be it. The pastor at the time of that church and I did a funeral together a year and a half ago. And he said, he said, that was one of the most profound teachings at a funeral I've ever heard. I'm not saying that to brag on myself. I'm saying that our willingness to suffer and endure and be enthusiastic will overcome all our temporal situations. Because the fact of the matter is, I'm not qualified to be up here. Praise the Lord. I'm not qualified to be up here. Amen? So I tell you, be zealous. Be enthusiastic. Recognize that blessing may not mean temporal blessing. In fact, it's likely to not mean temporal blessing. But we're still called to endure in our suffering, to stand strong in our suffering, to rejoice in our suffering. Acts 5.41. Let me, let me read this to you. This is so good. Sometimes I forget y'all are in the room. 
5.41. Apostles just got, just got flogged. They just got beat down by the Pharisees and the religious elite. He said, y'all better not preach the name of Jesus. But in their enthusiasm, this happened. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. That is, that's one of the weightiest verses in all of Scripture. That, because the verse in front of that says, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. Which means they beat them, said, you better not declare Jesus anymore. And they said, well, praise the Lord. I got to get beat for Jesus. And then you know what they did? They went and told other people about Jesus. One of those apostles is the apostle we've been learning from for 18 weeks. Because he understood the temporal isn't as significant as the eternal. Number two, the zealous maintains devotion to Christ. For all things are for your sake. Oh, no, I'm wrong. That's the wrong 15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts is the first part of verse 15. You can't be zealous for a God you don't love. Sanctify yourself. You know what? That's a huge, that's a big Christian word for set yourself aside for the purpose of Christ. In your thoughts, in your actions, in your speak, in your work, set yourself aside so that in you, regardless of what you're doing, your life glorifies and honors God. A zealous person sanctifies himself to Christ. Have I made every decision I've made today based on how that's going to make Jesus look? If I take every action that I took today based on how that's going to make Jesus look. Now that's a lofty goal. But that's the goal we've been called to shoot for. Amen? Sanctify. I don't have a lot to say about that because it's so simple. Set yourself aside. You're not that significant. Well, well I am significant. Jesus first, then at some point you become significant because of Jesus. Amen? Set yourself aside to Christ Jesus. Sanctify yourself. Ask yourself, am I honoring him with my life? There's a Charles Spurgeon quote I just read. Somebody had posted on Facebook that said something along this, these lines. A Christian shoemaker doesn't glorify Christ by carving a cross in his shoes and the shoes he makes. He glorifies Christ by making the best shoe that's made. This is how we live our life. Man, you can get your cross tattoos and put all your fancy Jesus stuff on Facebook and tell everybody about how fancy and spiritual you are and be going straight to hell if you don't sanctify yourself to Christ. And I tell you that because it takes a zealousness, it takes an enthusiasm to do that. I think Peter's telling us that because that's not happening by accident. 
Not only are we to sanctify ourselves to Christ, but we are to sanctify, or we must be ready to defend our faith. The second part of that verse, and I've heard whole sermons out of this verse, so I apologize I don't have the time to get into this, but I'm going to make it as simple as I can. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for your hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. A zealous person is willing to defend his faith. And I don't mean put on your boxing gloves and beat somebody up and say, you're going to believe the way I believe. I'm talking about being harmonious enough to have audience with them, sympathetic enough with them to understand their hurt, brotherly enough to pull them in and love them when no one else wants to, kind-hearted enough to recognize that they matter to God too, and humble enough to recognize that you ain't that big a deal. We have to be willing to give a defense, ready to tell other people about Jesus at all times. Well, what about when I'm at work? They, they don't allow me to talk about Jesus at work. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Well, I might get in trouble. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence. Well, my friends may not like that. Always being, I, th I think I'm making my point. You know, I've talked about the academy a lot today. If there's any place you're not supposed to talk about Jesus, it's in government. But you've got to ask yourself, who am I willing to offend? Or who am I not willing to offend? I was blessed enough to have a boss that wouldn't condone it, but he turned his eye to it, even in a state building. We used their auditorium on Tuesday nights and started a church service every Tuesday night for officers and students who couldn't get home because they lived there during the week to worship. I could have been fired for that. He could have been fired for that. But the Bible says always be ready to give a defense. Now you have to do that with humility and reverence. You can't do that arrogantly. You have to do that reverentially both for God and for them. When everybody says, you don't talk about Jesus here, it's because someone hasn't talked to them in humility and reverence before. But if you're zealous for all the things that we've talked about as a believer, then you're going to maintain a humility and reverence when talking to people, and who's to persecute you for doing good? Amen? This is what we're called to. These are the things we're called to, all while, according to verse 16, maintaining a good consciousness. Which means without sinning, without making sure, without, or while ensuring 
that there's no shadow of sin in us. Because let me tell you, I have a hard time suffering persecution, telling people about Jesus, doing all the things we've talked about today if I'm constantly under this shadow of the, of the sin that I know I commit when nobody's around. Who am I to tell them about Jesus when I'm all jacked up and I, I'm all messed up too? In our good consciousness, no one can condemn you. To maintain a good consciousness. This is what zealous believership looks like. Being willing to take these qualities we've discussed, set ourselves aside, and pursue Jesus with everything that we are at the cost of everything that we are. Amen? There's a story, and I know I'm a couple minutes over, but I want to read this to you. If you're not familiar with this book, it's called Jesus Freaks. This is volume two. There's actually two volumes, but the whole book is different stories of people that have been persecuted throughout history, like even in up to death. And there's, there's a story from Venice in 1542, and it's only like three-quarter of a page, so it'll just take a second. But I wanted to read it word for word to, to feel the weight of it. Anthony Ricchetti had been sentenced to death by drowning for his adherence to the teachings of Christ. A few days before the sentence was to be carried out, his son came to him, pleading with him to recant that he might not be left fatherless. His kid came to him and said, Please, Dad, just, just say no. Anthony replied, A good Christian is bound to give up not only goods and children, but life itself for the glory of the Redeemer. Therefore, I am resolved to sacrifice everything in this transitory world for the sake of salvation in a world that will last for eternity. The lords of Venice also sent word that if he would recant, he would not only be freed, but would receive a considerable estate that had just been reclaimed. Anthony's response was again directed to the point. He sent them word that he refused their offer absolutely because he valued his soul beyond all other considerations. <coughs> Again, they urged him to reconsider, telling him that a fellow prisoner, Francis Sega, had, been, had just recanted and was set free. If he has forsaken God, I, I pity him, Anthony answered, but I shall continue steadfast in my own duty. Finding that Andrew would not turn from his confession, even though his son had begged him to, even though they promised him an estate and his freedom. Finding that Anthony would not turn from his confession, the Lord's executed him as sentenced. He died cheerfully, commending his soul to his Redeemer. Francis Sega, whom he, he had been told of, had not, in fact, <coughs> recanted and was executed only a few days later in the same manner. The title of this is Valuing Your Soul Above All Else. To do that, we have to be an enthusiastic people while adhering to the calling of verse 8 through 11. Amen?